Well, this last um, couple of weeks, we've been in a series where we've been uh, talking about all of these spiritual questions that we all ask. And uh, it's a big deal because uh, a lot of these questions that we ask, they're not just things that we like sit around and, you know, we, we, we have a desk full of books and we're like studying and reading and all of a sudden we're like, I wonder how God does operate this way. Most of the time that we're asking these questions, it's because we're struggling through something. Most of the times that we ask these types of questions is because we're going through some painful moments, some painful times, and we're going through something that is causing us to question, is God someone we can trust? Is God someone that we can go to? Or in the case of this week's, quite simply, is God good? Is God good? And so many of the conversations that I have with people about God swirl around this whole idea of whether or not that's even true. Is God someone that is known to be good? Is he someone that we can trust? And that really kind of just rears its ugly head when we start to really think about, well, how could a good God let bad things happen? How could a good God allow suffering? Um, if we look all around us in the world and we see the hatred and we see all of these different things, if God was good, how does that account and then for some of us, and I just, this has been uh, very heavy for me all week. Like, I'm as aware as I would know how to be that for some of us, this is intensely personal. For some of us, this is not hypothetical that like, why is there suffering? Why is there pain? For some of us, this is like your day-to-day -day life, that you don't know what I've been through. You don't know what I've had to face. And... So these questions feel very, very heavy for you too. And I know that. And uh, God willing, uh, he will do what he can do to show you not only what I think is his goodness, but his trustworthiness. Because I will totally tip my hat and if I was having my opinion win, I would just say, uh, let's wrap up as soon as I say this simple phrase. I have found personally that God is good. He is wonderful, actually. And he is worth hitching my life to. He is worth following. He is so trustworthy. He is so faithful. And that's not a fickle thing. I've wrestled through lots of stuff in my life to come to that conclusion. And I hope that you'll journey with me this weekend as we kind of like walk through a bunch of stuff and kind of land on a place where we can kind of have a safe place to decide for ourselves do I want to trust God? Do, is that where I want to be? So let's walk through um, some things and explore a little bit what's behind this question. Let's take a look and a walk through kind of a little bit of a pathway of logic. First of all, there are countless passages in the Bible that talk about God's goodness. Uh, just to pull a small handful out, like in, in James chapter 1, it says, whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down to us from God our Father who created all the lights in the heavens. He never changes, casts a shifting shadow. That's all the good and perfect gifts that we would know and love. Jesus said in Mark 3 that only God the Father is good. Like not only is he good, he's the only one that's good. Um, Lamentations 3 is one of my personal favorite verses. The steadfast Lord, excuse me, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. 
His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning, and great is his faithfulness. And there are dozens and dozens and dozens, if not hundreds upon hundreds of accounts of the goodness of God. But as we wrestle through these questions and we wrestle through those personal pains, as we wrestle through the things that have our wheels spinning and our emotions just flying all around, is it just as simple as reading a couple of verses? So now that we've read a couple of verses, we're like, cool, God is good, let's move on. Like it, it experientially, at least, does not land there. And so what and how can we do, what can we find to start to engage this. So if you'll track with me uh, this weekend, here's kind of where we're gonna go. The first thing we're gonna ask is simply, what is good? If we're going to navigate the question, is God good? We kind of even know what we're talking about. What, what is good? And then specifically, then, well, what if that's not the best question? What if is God good doesn't land us the best place? And I don't mean in the sense that he's not good. I just mean it, what if there's other questions behind that that drill more down to the heartbeat of what it is that God is trying to help us to see and know? And then specifically with that, is then that his problem or is that our problem? Is how we're interpreting all of that, where does that land? And then I want to kind of hopefully land us in a place where we can discover what does God do about all of that? And then what can we do about it? And so that's where I kind of want to go this weekend as we start to unpack, uh, honestly, this very, very heavy question. And I mean, I can't like tell you enough how much this, this has been messing with me all week. Um, it, it, it's just a thing. So uh, I hope, I, I, I'm excited to journey about it with you, but if, you're, if, you're a, if you can listen and pray at the same time, let's pray that God shows up in our hearts and minds because that's what's important. Uh, not, not that Joe says the right things. So I went to the super common, super wonderful research to, tool, Google, uh, to find out what is good. And good is this. P- good is pure and moral. It's conscientious. It's meritorious. It's worthy. It's exemplary. It's upright. It's outstanding. It's admirable. And apparently it's above a fifth grade reading level. Uh, and so like as we look at all of those words, like it's, uh, it's like, wow, like that's, there's a lot there. And I had to like remind myself, I'm like, I'm pretty sure meritorious just means it's full of merit and merit is when you do good but not super good at school or something like that you know it's just like what, what do all these words mean but the, the thing that actually struck me the most because in some ways none of these words surprise me the thing that struck me the most is that nowhere in here does good equate to happiness and I think that's fascinating because when I think about what's good And when I have conversations with people about what they think is good and what they hope will be good in their life, what they're usually actually saying, what I'm usually actually saying is, is it going to make me happy? If God is good, then what we're usually correlating there is, well, then God will make me happy because he's good. And if he's good, he'll make me happy. That means if he's all good, that means that his number one goal is to make me happy. But as we define good, Nowhere in there is this idea that it's related to our happiness and we'll continue to find throughout the scripture that I'm not sure what God's talking about when it comes to goodness has to do with just us being happy. And so what is that? And so that started to mess with me this week. And I kind of landed in two different places regarding happiness. And the first thing is that in particular, things that make us happy are not necessarily good. Things that make us happy are not necessarily good. For instance, you wanna know something that makes me really happy? 
<laughs> eating an entire large pizza. That makes me so happy. Just thinking about it, it's good. You know what's definitely not good? Eating an entire large pizza. Like there's no, you couldn't find a definition out some kind of like, outside of some snarky meme that was like, eating an entire large pizza is good for you. No way is eating all of that gluten, all that cheese, all of that fat, and all that fatty meat. See, I just made it really appetizing. No way is eating all of that good. And we know that, right? But I love me some larger pizza. That's my Italian accent. Uh, I'm just kidding, it's not. But it's not good. You know what else makes me happy? <laughs> Watching kids fall over. <laughs> I love it. I don't know why. You ever see those videos online or is that just my algorithms? Like it's just like all these kids, you know, fall on, it's like things like they just like run their bike into a bush and they're just like over, you know, and stuff like that or they like fall over a curb. Before service, I saw some kid like he was just running in and almost biffed it. Totally did that like those huge steps in front of himself to catch it. I'm like, wow, that was impressive. You caught it. And I'm not as happy because you didn't fall over. Uh, but this is not good, right? Like kids falling over is not a good thing, right? It's just not, but it makes me happy, right? Like that's just kind of how we might tease ourselves that like some of those types of things, like, no, they're good because they make you laugh. No, they're good because, you know, it's tasty. No, it, it's like, but we know. It's not good. It just, for the moment at least, can make us happy, and there's so many more things, right, that we could unpack there. But the second thing goes along with it as well, where things that are good may not make us happy. And so, for instance, some of us, we've experienced uh, a breakup. And like in hindsight, you're like, it is so good that I didn't end up with that person. Like, I have a few of those in my life. There were, there were two girls in particular that I dated before my now wife that I thought for sure I would marry. They seemed pretty great. And when they broke up with me, because it was definitely that way, like, I was begging for any attention. I was just like, but, like, when they broke up with me, I was devastated. Devastated. And looking back, I'm like, it is so good that I did not end up with them. Some of us, you're, you're like in a job situation right now that you actually like really, really like or that really provides for you really well. But it took you losing a job to ever even contemplate making that shift. You never would have made that shift. You're like, no, that was a good job. I provided, blah, 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 blah. But now you're like, I love what I'm doing right now, or this is such a good situation, but we never would have done it if it weren't for going through that thing that wasn't good. Because none of us like going through job loss, the uncertainty, the lack of provision in that season. We're like, this is terrible. But in hindsight, like, wow, that was good that that happened. And we could run down a whole list of things. Like for me, it is good that I blew out my knee in college. Like for real, I'm thrilled that that happened. Some of us, there's a, a friend of mine, they broke their arm. They broke their arm. That's not good, except when they showed up to the doctor, when they were looking at the x-ray, they're like, that's weird. And they ended up finding a small uh, cancerous developer in their arm, early stages, figured it out, treated, now they're totally cancer-free, never would have found it early 
if it weren't for breaking their arm. And so this thing wasn't fun, but it ended up being a good thing. So good things don't always make us happy when we're trying to equate the value of how they come together, which means then that there might be some crazy things that I would insist, like maybe finding some of what's wrong in our life is a good thing. Maybe finding some of what's wrong in our life is a good thing. Maybe owning up to the things that we're addicted to is a good thing. And that's going to be painful to admit to someone, to admit to anyone, to admit to the public, I'm addicted to this. That's gonna be hurtful and it won't make you happy, but boy, will it be good. Maybe, maybe good and happiness don't go together because sometimes good things hurt. You ever walked a walk with a loved one through a hard diagnosis? The diagnosis is terrible, but it can be so good to, to find that connection, to be there for them. You ever help someone through an addiction? to see the, the steps of victory, to see the steps of progress, to see things begin to move, to be there consistently. You ever step into something like adoption or mentoring or doing hard things to care and love for people and that, that's not all roses and fluffy stuffed animals and it can be painful. Matter of fact, some of these good things could straight up zap your happiness. And so good and, and happy don't always go along together. And so I, I would posture that maybe we need to really reevaluate what we mean when we say good. And maybe we need to realize that our initial reaction isn't always the best test as to whether or not something is in fact good or not. And if we can have that realistic and sober understanding of what is good, then I think we can come up to this soft conclusion that my circumstances then don't define his goodness. And so if I'm going through that hard situation, if I'm going through that painful experience, if I'm going, if I'm suffering in those scenarios, it doesn't define whether or not God is good. It just simply means we're going through one of those circumstances. So if whether or not God is good maybe isn't the question because maybe we can't always interpret what is good from the onset then, what if the question could be something like this? What if it instead was, can I trust him? Can I trust God? Because if I can't figure out on the onset if it's good that I'm doing this or that he's doing this or that something's happening, well then, is he someone that I could trust? And one of the first rebuttals that almost always pops up when, when this is uh, postulated, I'm like trying to use big words, but I am not there tonight. So when someone asks me this question, okay, uh, that's all I have the muscle memory for right now. Um, one of the first arguments against it is that, well, how could I trust God? Because God's pretty judgmental. God is pretty judgmental. 
And it kind of feels like I'm getting these mixed signals because on one page of the Bible, we got the flood. And on another page of the Bible, we have his goodness endures forever. And how, how do I reconcile those things together? How do, I, how do I push those things together? And is it even remotely possible for them both to be true? And here's, here's where I'm landing, and I hope this makes sense to you, and I hope it's helpful for you. I'm actually really glad that God's judgmental. I'm actually really glad that God is judgmental because here's the situation. If something happens, and the question is, was that thing good or was that bad? Here's what I don't want to happen. God going, ooh, that's a good question. I haven't thought of that before. This one's really stumping me. I'm not really sure. I haven't thought through. I want God to know. I want God to have the confidence and the goodness to know when something is right and something is wrong. I want him to have this deep understanding, this fullness of expression of his goodness that when something is put before him, he knows instantly. It's not a question mark. He knows if it's good or if it's not. And so therefore, I would want him to be judgmental. Now here's where this, fine, you're like, I don't want God to be judgmental. I don't want a God to be like that. Well, then here's the alternative. Because what we don't like in that scenario is that God would be judgmental, that he would know, that he would have an opinion, that he would understand what's right or wrong. We're like, I don't like that about God. I don't want that to know about God. And what we mean by that then is because I know better. Because one of the things he said was good or one of the things he said was bad, I disagree with. And therefore, I don't want him to be judgmental. But the irony is then we fill in the gap. Because if he doesn't know what's good and he doesn't know what's bad, the fact that we disagree with it says, I know better. God said that's good, I disagree. What you literally just said was, I know better than God and or I can equate myself to the level of God because whoever this God is, is wrong. And then the irony continues because if we then are gonna step into that place and say, I know what's good, I know what's wrong, I know what's evil, I know what is right and just, and I therefore won't be judgmental because being judgmental in and of itself is being bad, we actually also step into that gap of then being the judge. Because if we know and understand and are the definition of good, then by default, those that think differently are not good. So the way that I think, the way that I set up my life, the way that I vote, the way that I have opinions on this place in my life, this way, that way, the other, because I'm good, because the way that I think is the right way, that means if you don't think the way that I think, you're not good, and therefore we just stepped into the same judgmental position that we wish God wouldn't step into. And we're like, no, 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 no. See, because I, like, we love everybody, blah, 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 but the moment someone disagrees with that posture, well, not you, you're wrong. That's judgmental. So either we're going to be the definer of good and we're going to be the definer of what's appropriate to be judged or we realize that actually it'd be a whole lot better if there was a good and just God that understood the difference between the two and that was not blown back and forth by every decision, every culture, but he understood the essence of what it meant to be good. And so if we're going to step then into this question of, can I trust him? 
What's wonderful about this question is this question is relational. This question is all about having a connection, a relationship, an understanding, a knowledge of him. Because like I have an eight-year-old little girl and like relationship is massively helpful because if I need to find a babysitter, I don't just like randomly like comb through the white pages online and say like, oh, I found someone. And then I look up their social media profile. I'm like, they see it. They wear de- decently clean clothes. Oh, their Twitter profile is verified. Cool. They seem like a good person. Let's ask them to babysit my daughter. No, that is not how we do that, right? Matter of fact, the opposite's quite true. Like some of the family members that I would ask to watch my daughter because I have relationship with them, because I know them, because I trust them, I actually know they're junk. <laughs> I actually know they're not perfect. I actually know they're not always good, but I know them and therefore I trust them. Trust is a relational question. Trust is something that Jesus is trying to invite us into with God. When it comes to trust, this helps us understand that there's a person. There's a person behind the thing that's going on. And this is massively huge because the person that's behind the action helps define our reaction. They inform the goodness of a circumstance. So for instance, if you just had a consult with a surgeon and the surgeon says, hey, you need surgery right? And we can get you in in the next couple of weeks and the, the prognosis is great. Like I think the surgery's going to go really, really well. That's ironically great news. That's good news. But if you're like palling around with the neighbor and you're in the backyard and the, the neighbor's like, you see that spot on your arm there? I think that probably needs surgery. If you want, I can go sharpen the steak knives. We can do this right here on the picnic table. That's bad news. Like that is not going to end well. If there's a coach that believes in you and sees something in you and they says, I want you running so much in this off season because if we can get your endurance up, if we can get your speed up, then you are going to be the athlete that you wanna be. This is gonna be amazing. You will run and you will run and you will run because the person behind that activity is someone you trust. If a grizzly bear is looking you in the eye and saying, I know what's for dinner and you suddenly have to run, that is bad news. It's the same activity, it's still running, one is bad, one is good. One sounds awful, even though we're gonna do it anyway, and the other one is also awful, but we're gonna do it with joy, or some version of it's okay. Because the person behind the thing, the person we trust or don't trust, informs whether or not we think that behavior is a good thing. And so, if our initial reaction to something isn't always the best test, because we're trying to figure out Is this make me happy or not? Or however that plays out in our minds. And if the person behind the situation informs the goodness of what's going on, then all of this swirling together, can I trust God or not? Let's ask the sobering question. When unfavorable things are happening in my life, is that my problem? Or is it God's problem? Is it my problem? Or is it God's problem? In other words, where does all the suffering and the pain come from? Where does it come from? I want to break it down a bit because there's at least three places where our suffering and pain stems from. And the first one is this category of someone else's blunder, someone else's mistake. They didn't mean to do it. They didn't didn't intend for that to happen, but it caused pain. 
It caused real things. They stepped on your foot. They made a mistake at work and it's gonna cost you a sale. They made a mistake at work and it's gonna cost you your job. They did not intend to do it, but their blunder caused suffering. Their blunder caused... Another one is our own blunders. We make mistakes. We misstep. We stub our toe. We get into situations where because of our error, we didn't intend to do it, we didn't mean to do it, we weren't trying to be rebellious, but because of our error, we caused pain and suffering. And these are real deal. Accidents happen, the pain is real. Suffering does happen. You don't kick your toe on a door jam and go like, oh, it doesn't hurt because that was just a mistake. Like, no, it kills, it hurts so bad. How does your toe have that many pain receptors? Another area where suffering comes from is someone else's evil. Someone else intended to do harm. And that person did something that really hurt. That person meant to treat you that way. That person meant to cause you some type of pain or disgust. We are surrounded by flawed people and from time to time they do bad, mean, and just straight out evil things. But the other place the suffering can come from is our own evil. Sometimes we choose to do the thing. Sometimes we mistreat the person. Sometimes we blow up at that family member. Sometimes we hurt the family member. Sometimes we're the ones that decided to make that decision and it hurt someone else at work. We're the person that decided to go ahead and post that online and now that classmate is in a really, really bad way. Sometimes our own evil causes the suffering. Because regardless of where the evil comes from, when evil happens, fallout and consequences will follow. And this is hard. Because when that evil happens to us, the first question we often want to ask is, where was God? And the next question we want to ask is, what did I do? But the real answer is, what did someone else do that caused real pain and suffering? And sometimes we want to escape our own. We, tr we did the thing and now we deeply regret it and we wish we could wash it all away. We wish we didn't have to pay the consequences. We wish we could rewind. We wish we could go back, but we can't. And the fallout is happening and our own devices, our own decision has led us to a path where suffering, where pain is real. And the third category where suffering comes from is actually God's providence. The scripture actually shows us a bunch of different places where something bigger is happening that we just can't see, even though the pain is still real. Honestly, there will come a season, even if it's an afternoon, maybe it's weeks, maybe it's even months where the tailors will experience some suffering. They're shifting gears. They're uprooting everything. They're going and doing the thing. They're doing it for Jesus. It'll all be good work and they'll suffer partly because of it. 
Sometimes we know we're called into hard situations to do the thing, and it's the right thing, and it's the good thing, and it's the best thing, and we could all agree on that, but it will mean suffering. Because not all suffering is bad. Some suffering is good. And all suffering can be redeemed. So suffering comes from all of these different places. Suffering comes from other people, from us, situations, some of it intentional, some of it not. But I want to simplify in particular where our induced suffering can come from. I want to take a look for a moment here at what happens when we're the cause of it. What happens when we actually induce the non-healthy kind of suffering? And I want to boil it down to one word. It's separation. It's separation. We are going to be much more engaged with the trustworthiness and the goodness of God the closer and more connected we are with him. That's why Jesus, that's why God the Father, that's why the Holy Spirit are inviting us into relationship with him. It's not get it all right or else. It's come be with me and let me show you. Come be with me and let me help you. Come be with me and let me heal you. Come be with me and let me interact with you and redeem you and restore you. We all have one of these electronic rectangles uh, around us right now, right? When I woke up this morning, this was charged at 100% laying on my magnetic charger. In the moment that I took it off that charger, it was no longer at exactly 100%. It is now starting to drift away from the fullness of the power that is available to it. And the moment that I start using it without putting it back on the charger, that battery will deplete and deplete and deplete and deplete and deplete. And depending upon what I do and how long I go in between charges, that battery can get really, really low. It'll even flash yellow and flash red. Like your battery is low. You need to get reconnected to the power source. And the more and more that that battery wanes, the less and less ability it has to be the fullness of what it was designed to be. The moment that we start to disconnect ourselves from God, the moment that we pull ourselves away from the relational proximity of being connected to him, our goodness begins to dilute. Our ability to understand the goodness and the trustworthiness of God begins to dissipate. And so we start to think subtle things like, well, this opinion I have is just a little bit different than what God said, but it's okay. And we're suddenly not at 100% of God's goodness and his trustworthiness. Our relational proximity to Jesus is what helps us understand just how good he is. And even as Christians, we don't recognize it right away when we start to pull away from God because 99% still feels really good. No one ever has their phone hit 99% and go, ooh, I gotta charge this again. And so even when we start to veer, when we start to pull away from God, when we start to say maybe it looks a little bit more like this instead of what he wants, when we start to have that relational dissonance and that distance, suddenly our life is no longer connected to the fullness of it. 
And so when we're not molded to his way and we want to do it a little bit more our way, well, suddenly we're at 97%. And then we shift gears and we might say something like, well, it's probably fine if I disagree with God here. I mean, after all, it's 2023. And did God really understand how things were going to shake out? 82%. My addiction is my own addiction. It's not hurting anyone else. It's okay. 71%. God just wants me to be happy. That is his number one priority. So this thing that I'm doing is fine, 59%. It's totally cool if I give up on this person. They deserve what's coming to them, 43%. I'm not really sure I need to be that attached to God. I mean, I believe in him after all. I mean, do I really need to be a part of a church and engage his scriptures? I mean, that Bible thing is so antiquated anyway, and prayer is just meditation and blah, 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 blah. 15%. And our connection to the source is so diluted and so distant from where God is that we start to see things through a completely tainted lens. We're no longer connected to the source. And the farther we move away from God, the less of his goodness flows through us. And sometimes that happens because we're drifting away from God, and sometimes it happens because we're straight up intentionally running away from him. But they both lead us away from that understanding of what is actually good. Now, there's, there's this passage in Romans in chapter one that we're gonna read a portion of, and I'm, I'm just telling you, it's not easy. This is not a fun one. But it's God helping us understand what happens when we pull away from the source. In Romans chapter 1 and verse 21, he says, yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. And as a result, their minds became dark and confused. They pulled away from God and wouldn't reconnect with him. And so they decided to figure out things on their own and their minds became dark and confused. Their battery got depleted. Their understanding and connection to the goodness got completely stripped away and suddenly they find themselves in a place that is not good. It is not healthy. And the passage continues, so God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desired. This does not say God forsook them, that he left them in the dust to face whatever consequences was coming their way. He says, no, fine. If you want to pull away from me, okay. Okay. And you can do whatever you want. This isn't you're stuck with the leftovers. This isn't now you get what's coming to you. Okay. If you want to pull away from me, you can have what you're going after. You see, when we're not connected to the source, we lose sight of what is actually good. Our mind starts to redefine things and we react to our circumstances unhealthily and and we forget to trust God. And when we're not connected to Christ, when we're not a follower of Jesus at all, I mean, this phone is still valuable. You could still sell it online for hundreds and hundreds of dollars. It, it, would, it would function if you'd plug it in. 
But the scriptures would even say that we are spiritually dead before being connected to the source of life in Christ. And so if, if we're not even connected to Jesus, we can't even imagine the functionality that this thing has. We can't even imagine what would be accessible to us. We can't imagine the power that could be coursing through our lives. We're not even attached to the source. We've never even been attached to the source. And Jesus is offering us, he's inviting us to be connected to him and his powerful goodness. Now here's the crazy thing. So what happens then if we find ourselves distant disconnected from God doing the shameful things that we want. Here's another hard one. This is not a fun one. When you think about like, you know what I want to do is I want to share on the weekend with a bunch of people. This is not the verse. You're like, I can't wait to throw this one up on the screen. Okay, but here we go. Because this, mm. but God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. As they pull away from who God is and suppress the truth by their own new definitions of what is supposed to be good, God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people. That's fun. But if our initial reaction isn't always the best test of goodness, whoa, that sounds terrible. What if something else is going on with this good God getting so angry? My daughter's eight years old. And if you unintentionally hurt her, I would be disgruntled and I would want you to apologize and make it right. If you accidentally stepped on her foot, just please apologize, and we're probably good. If you intentionally hurt my daughter, I would be quite frustrated, and I would want you to apologize and make it right. If you refuse to apologize and make it right, I legit would be very angry with you why would you hurt an eight-year-old girl and then refuse to apologize to her? I'm like feeling the real emotion just thinking about you hurting my kid. And then not apologizing for it. You're a grown adult. You hurt an eight-year-old girl. Apologize. Make it right. No. The anger that would course through my veins against the sinful, wicked person who hurt my kid. Well, sure, it makes sense when it's my daughter. I love her and I don't want her to be hurt. So let's flip it around. If my daughter unintentionally steps on my toe, I would want her to apologize. We've literally had that conversation. She stepped on my foot, she stepped on my toe. It actually hurts. Somehow, even an eight-year-old's heel on your toe still really hurts. And she's like, I didn't mean it. I'm like, I get it. You still hurt me. 
I'm sorry, okay, cool, we're good. It takes hardly anything to get past an unintentional hurt. If my daughter intentionally breaks a rule, intentionally disrespects her mother, intentionally disrespects me, I would want her to apologize, I would want her to make it right, and she's going to likely have some type of consequence or discipline coming her way. Because she intentionally did it. And we're going to, at a minimum, have to have a conversation. And at a maximum, we're going to have to do some type of disciplinary action. And if she continued to do that thing intentionally, that discipline would probably continue or it would alter so as to get her attention. Because I don't want her to do things that hurt other people on purpose. And it's my responsibility as her father to help her realize that that's not okay. As a matter of fact, it's not that I love her any less when I get angry. And she, she's heard my angry dad voice a couple of times in eight years, and she knows the difference. Oh, dad's actually upset with this one. But when I get angry, I don't love her any less. When I get angry, I don't suddenly think to myself, I wonder if she could make it on her own. When I'm angry with her, I'm not contemplating all the ways that I can destroy her life. When I'm angry with her, I'm actually thinking, how, how can I help course correct this? How can I help fix this, train this, course correct this, make this right? Because as her father that loves her, even when she's made me angry, I want to help her so this becomes less and less of an issue. You see, being angry, the, the, the need to even discipline our child actually is a marker that proves that I love my kid. I've talked to a lot of adults, and maybe this is even you, where they grew up with parents that like didn't care about anything. You could be out late, they didn't ask where you were, they didn't care what time you got in. You could do all the things with all the people and they were like, whatever. They were very, very laissez-faire. And to the person, do you know what each of those people have told me? I just wish my parents would have cared. I just wish my parents would have cared. Ironically, when we have the perspective of an adult and we look backwards, we're like, I actually wish my parents would have disciplined me when I was getting out of line. I wish my parents would have course corrected some of the things that were happening in my life that needed corrected. And that's in the Bible too, actually, about God. That my child, don't reject the Lord's discipline. Don't be upset when he corrects you. For the Lord corrects those he loves just as a father corrects a child in whom he delights. I love my kid so much, even when I'm really mad. You see, God doesn't hate sin because he's a jerk. God hates sin because he's good. God doesn't like that stuff because he actually is good. You can trust him because he's against what would hurt you. 
And here's the crazy thing that's gonna blow our minds because what does God do? What does he do about it when he finds himself so angry at the wicked people, the sinful people, the people that are intentionally hurting others, the people that are causing the suffering for themselves, that are causing the suffering for other people? What does God do when he sees all of that cascading, when he sees sin going nuts, when he's like, this is out of control? What does he do? He's just fly off the handle and tear our lives apart? No, God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still the wicked, sinful people. While we were still in the place of God the Father being angry with us, his reaction was not to wipe us out or to destroy us, it was the opposite. It was to love us at a level that we've never been loved before. It was to send in the fire brigade. It was to send in the rescue squad. It was to send in the healer. It was to send in the one that could finally show us the depth of God's love for us. And he would sacrifice himself for us for the chance to be restored back into that healthy relationship. That's what God did when he was angry. And why would God do that when he was angry? Because he's the definition of good. He is so trustworthy that even at the height of his anger in the worst moment of our lives, he gave himself for us. He gave himself for us when we move away from God, when we drift, even when we straight up rebel, when God is so angry, he does everything he can to restore us. That's what salvation is. That's what Jesus is offering. That's what God has initiated from the very beginning, that we would come back to himself, that we'd be back in his goodness and his grace, that we'd be restored, that we'd be forgiven, that we'd be finally in the place that we need to be attached to the source of goodness itself. But of course, you might be asking one last question. If he's so good and he's so trustworthy, then why doesn't he just fix it? Why doesn't he just fix it? Why do we still have to go through all of this junk? And I'm actually really glad we're asking that question because God is not a genie. He's a father. If we could somehow become Aladdin and somehow summon a genie and get, hey God, or hey genie, would you just fix my suffering? We would be grateful, but we wouldn't like love the genie. But when God, our good father, shows up in the midst of our pain, in the midst of our suffering, when he starts to work right alongside us and put the pieces back together, when he starts to show you the depth of healing, when he begins to show you the eternal promise that one day he will wipe away every tear, one day everything will be restored and brand new, when he is there with us, we become close with our Father. He doesn't want to just numb the pain. He wants to show us what healing is. 
He's not here just to flip a switch and make us happy. He's there to offer us an invitation to life and what is actually good. Many of you might know a passage where it says, we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. When we are pursuing that connection with God, when we're running after him, he's working all of those things together for good, for real, lasting, eternal good. He's got a better plan, a bigger plan, a good plan that we can trust. I don't, I want to like wrap things up with just two places in the scripture that give me hope. And I hope that they do for you too. And the first is in Jeremiah where it says, if you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. If you want to be connected with God, your good Father in heaven, seek him. Run after him. He promises you'll find him. And then you will taste and see that the Lord is good. He is so good. He is so worth it and the joys of those who take refuge in him. He is so good. We can choose to trust him. And as we do, we will continue to see more and more of his goodness. As the band settles in, I wonder if we can't take this moment to do a little bit of this to seek him. And maybe it starts with processing some of the pain that you've had to or are putting up with and begin to see how he steps alongside us as a good father to restore us, to heal us, and show us his goodness. Will you pray with me? Father God, thank you so much for that invitation. Your reaction is ridiculous. If you are good and you are the good judge, you, you have all the position in the world to just say, get your act together. Get it right. Fix it. But you're so good You fixed it all. Jesus, thank you for taking willingly because of your love the depth of that anger that we would all feel if our loved ones were hurting or being hurt. You took it all. You took all of that anger. And then because of your life, your perfection, and your power. You rose again from the dead, showing us that that is taken care of. That we can now simply respond to the grace and the goodness of God 
and find ourselves in that loving, restorative relationship with our good, good Father. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.